Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome, everybody, to episode number 37 of Collectible Live. Today is Sunday, June the 26th, 2022. My name is Jeremy Lee. I want to thank everyone who tuned in last week with our guest, Gerard Starkey from SAS. Had a great episode. Check that out on the Sports Cards Live YouTube channel and the Collectible App YouTube channel as well. We are going to bring out this week's guest. He is Director of of Acquisitions at Leland's, Jordan Gilroy. Welcome to Collectible Live. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's good to have you. Uh, We're going to start off the episode, do a bit of an interview discussion. Then we're going to go over this week's IPO, which is a fun one. To anyone in the chat, be sure to post your questions and comments. We will get to as many as we can. Jordan, let's start with this though. Get to know, let's get to know you a little bit. How did you first get into this wonderful hobby that we are all a part of now? Uh, my dad, actually, back in third grade, uh, one of his buddies who collected with him gave me a, a jersey card of Sean Green. And at the time, I, th- I saw these baseball players as gods and like, you know, celebrities. And I was baffled that I had a piece of a jersey that he wore, given it was worth $5. But and that's before this stuff turned into an industry with all the reselling. So that's kind of what started it. And then going to card shows on Sundays uh, after church and just buying online before the days of eBay. And yeah, it just spiraled from there. Working at card shows the last, you know, 15 years, card stores and now at, at Leland's. Buying online before the days of eBay. I don't remember where were where were you buying online before eBay came around? No, I just did at the show. It's like before oh, I got into eBay. Yeah, not before. 
got it. <laughs> you mentioned Sean Green. Sean Green of one once of the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. And I remember that card, the the upper deck card when it first came out. Uh, and then you mentioned the Sean Green jer- the jersey card itself, and you know you mentioned that how cool was that? And you know it makes me. I remember the first time I realized jersey cards were a thing going into the LCS. It was 96, 97 upper deck hockey cards, actually. The first year that, you know, baseball had them, football did too. And you're and they were so hard to hit. They were like almost impossible to find. And you were you 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 thought you struck gold if, if you if you hit one or you found out that somebody did, like the word would spread through the whole community, the whole local community. And now we can pull jersey cards out there a dime a dozen, and sometimes you can't even get shipping on them if that, you know, for the comments. It's funny how the the hobby kind of evolves that way. But uh, thanks for sharing that story. Um, so you're with Leland's now. I'm curious, how do you go from being a collector, a hobbyist, to becoming a member of the team at Leland's? So I was working at a car store out in Comac, New York, for about. Four years, I'd come home for Thanksgiving and summers during college. And then I graduated and then I was like, oh my gosh, I, I am in the real world. I can't just do this for summers and, uh, you know, during the winter. So I have to like get something that's a little bigger, you know. And uh, Leland's was about 30 minutes away, right in, uh, you know, the east coast of Long Island. And I emailed them. I went in for an interview one day. Luckily, I mean, this is back in 2015, um, and luckily the person that had my job before me left maybe a month or two before me, so it was just, you know, great timing, and there weren't all these people trying to get in like there are now because this is 2015, um, and yeah, it'll be seven years in September. So tell us a little bit about what you do there. Um, I deal with acquisitions, whether it's buying, selling, trading, taking consignments for auctions, working at shows, answering the phones when deals come in, uh, a little bit of everything, like to stay active and up to date, uh, because that's also the best way to learn. So whether it's someone emailing us a $10 item and we have to reject it or a million dollar item and I have to fly out to California, it's a little bit of everything. All right, cool. I'm going to come right back to that first. Just to say, we have a couple of people in the chat. Skeppy's here again. Good to see you. And Bill Betts, welcome to the show. Hello to you. So let's talk about acquisitions because something that I, I ask everyone that we have on Collectible Live who is with an auction house in, in any capacity, I always, I always want to know, how do you guys continuously fill your catalogs auction after auction? And your catalogs are often, you know, if they're a printed catalog or if it's just online, but like if it's printed, they're like this thick and they're, and they're beautiful with so many items. How do you, how do you continuously do that? Like, are you planning ahead several auctions? How do you, how do you do this? Uh, Well, luckily there's so much supply. I mean, the hobby is huge, whether you're a collector or a dealer. I mean, people are always looking to make money and not everyone, but, um, you know, say you have a hundred cards in your collection, you only want to sell one, but there are people that want to unload everything and sell 200 things at once. So if we have an auction that has 1200 lots, sometimes it's possible that one person might have 50 or 60 or 70 lots. But luckily Leland's we've been around for 40 years. So we have a lot of connections. We know where a lot of stuff is. Um, You know, we keep in contact with a lot of people. Sometimes it, 
you know, it took me once like three or four years to get this one Babe Ruth signed baseball that was worth 30 grand. And, and that's how long you got to wait sometimes. But now there's just so much stuff and the money's good. And some people now are trying to capitalize as much as they can on their $2,000 Brady autographs that are now $50,000. And um, yeah, it's just, I mean, we're, we're flooded with emails and calls all the time. So what seems to me like a challenge, you're saying it's, it's not all that difficult. The stuff just comes. There's a ton of supply. And, uh, and obviously your network helps to keep the pipeline full. Yeah, and we deal a lot with vintage. So a lot of that stuff is, you know, the families and they have been given a collection and it was passed down 50 years and they're not checking eBay comps every five days, every 10 minutes to see what's going on. So they here, we sold a Lou Gehrig car for $30,000 and they are just ecstatic. And, it, you know, the comp could be 28, 32. But if they're happy with what they get, then they're not going to say, oh, one sold on eBay for 31000 We just got 30 I'm upset. So the vintage people are the best people to deal with um, just because there's not as much of like a up and down stock trend like with the modern stuff. But uh, yeah, it's just very interesting. All the stories that we have from getting stuff from people, it's, it's a lot of fun. I bet. I bet. We'll, we'll talk a bit about uh, vintage versus modern in a moment. Snoop, welcome to the show. Snoop12922 says, great topic. And we're going to get to to the headline topic uh, shortly. What's up, fellas? Hey, Boston Authentic. Really glad to see Jordan getting some airtime. Really awesome and honest guy. Is that your mother? Just kidding. <laughs> I want to ask you this, too. It's a new question I'm asking people from auction houses. Do you have any stories about you know, consigners or sellers that you've met along the way where you meet with them, you tell them what their stuff is worth and they kind of fall, they, 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 they shed tears. They're happy with joy. Any sort of rags to riches stories that you've had along the way for people? Yes, actually it's, it's funny to say that because back in the last time the national was in Atlantic city back in 2016, maybe or 15, it was actually my first national. Um, and uh, a couple came up to our booth and had this big painting signed by Muhammad Ali. And, um, you know, the owner, well, part owner at Leland's back at the time, Josh Evans, told them it was worth $25,000. And they had no idea. They just thought it was worth a couple a couple bucks, a couple hundred dollars. And um, both of them started crying. And luckily they weren't weeping, but we did see the tears. And, it, you know, it was um, it was really nice to see that. Yeah, that, that's got to be one of the things like obviously you, you you're you're working in a role where it's it must be just constantly fun and rewarding to to number one, um, provide finances to people who are wanting or needing to sell, but also providing awesome pieces to your customers, to your, your clients, your buyers. And then there's the and then there's the part where people just have a, a windfall all of a sudden. I think it's 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 interesting and it's just kind of one of those nice stories that would make make good TV sort of thing. So very good. Okay, let's get into a few insights uh, from you. Um, game use memorabilia obviously is a big a big industry in our hobby. Uh, and when I say our hobby, I mean sports cards and memorabilia. They seem to go hand in hand, even though they're real. There's a, there's a big difference. The only the the main similarities that the, the subject matter is sports. But they're totally, 
I can't say totally different because they have started to integrate memorabilia into cards now for quite some time. But what is the, you know, talking to people you talk to for yourself, even for yourself, Jordan, your colleagues, what is the attraction to game use memorabilia? And even feel free to, to mention uh, as, a, you know, versus or as it relates to cards. Uh, personally speaking, um, you know, I'm a big fan of history. And, you know, when you hold a Babe Ruth bat and you close your eyes and you realize that it was at home plate at Yankee Stadium in his hands, I mean, that's a piece of history. It wasn't manufactured in the factory. And it's not knocking cards because I love cards too, but having the memorabilia, it's just like the hunt to get it is much more rewarding because it's very difficult to find like the prime stuff, like freshly, because a lot of the people don't put stuff on eBay. They don't auction it. So, you know, you get a card and you have the piece of the bat. And sometimes now it doesn't even say game used, which is actually good for the memorabilia market because people are now fiending the game used stuff. Um, but no, I mean, if I had the choice between a hundred thousand dollar piece of a LeBron Jersey with an autograph or a hundred thousand dollar photo match Jersey, I would pick the full Jersey all the way, even though the card could be worth more in the future. I just would rather have the entire thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting because, you know, you, I personally, I'm, I'm a card collector. I don't collect memorabilia. I have nothing against it. I think it's wonderful. It's just like how many, it would be a very expensive interest for me to pick up or another hobby and another, another lane to go down. And, um, it would, it would, I don't know that I, that, you know, it also takes a lot more room to display. I just, I love the sports card hobby for the cards. I like how small and compact they are, but again, nothing against memorabilia. And really it, you know, it's logical to think that memorabilia should like pound for pound be worth more than sports cards because they are a part of the game. They were used in the games and sports cards for the most part, never saw a stadium, a field, an arena, any of those things. So I want to, let's dive a bit. You, you touched on it, but you know, there's when it comes to sports cards and sports cards that have uh, relics in them, whether they're game used or not game used, it seems like a lot of a lot. There's a segment of the, of the sports card hobby that doesn't really care if the patch in the card is game used or if it's just player worn. Maybe they threw it on at a rookie photo shoot event or something like that. Or what you often see now on the back of cards is you know this the piece of memorabilia is not is not related to any specific game player or event. So what is it really in that case? And at that point, it just becomes decorative to me. It just becomes a a creative element of the card, not something that is supposed to get you closer to the game. So with that said, do you think that the the sport, there's a, that segment of the sports card hobby, those collectors slash investors, do you think that they are a little naive or late to the game in that they're not attributing more value to cards that have game-worn memorabilia in them versus those that, that have player-worn or not? Um, well, the player worn material, I, I think a lot of people kind of don't really care as much because they know it's still worth a lot of money and maybe they might be in it for the money aspect instead of buying it to keep and put away and cherish for 20, 30 years. Uh, you know, if you're doing a quick flip, you don't really need the emotion attached to it. Um, so I guess that could be one thing. 
two, I guess maybe people that weren't around back when they were all game used might not know what they were missing out on. So they don't really, you know, they see what was out there when they started and that's kind of what their norm is. Um, so that could also be another thing. And then, I mean, sometimes like, I guess it is possible that they wear it, but realistically, who knows? I mean, they're putting Mitchell and S patch cards in jerseys of players that have played in the eighties, but there's, they're still selling for a lot of money. So, I mean, people know this and they're still buying it. So there's still a, a huge demand for all of it. Yeah, no, there, there certainly is. I think if I'm giving anybody some advice on that, I think that the that down the road, and we're just talking cards for a moment here, if you have a card that has a game-used piece of jersey in it versus a an unidentifiable piece of jersey, I think that eventually the sports card collectors and investors are going to smarten up to that and, and assign more value to cards that have game-worn memorabilia. I think a lot of collectors don't un, can't even fathom how they how other collectors in in their hobby don't do that yet i'm one of those people i don't understand how how you would assign the same amount of value to a a a piece of fabric that that was not worn in an actual game versus one that was whatever wherever it came from again photo shooter just off the rack um i think they're i think i think they'll catch up eventually but i could be wrong you you never know uh you just never know where where things go um okay i want to ask you this now um what you you have a lot of customers a lot of buyers lots of uh, lots of clients who are buying items from you guys every every auction and it seems like you know in the card world you see a lot of cards showing up on instagram facebook twitter people sharing what they bought you'll, you'll see the day after an auction just bought all these cards that fill in the blanks auction check out what I picked up. I don't notice that as much for memorabilia. Maybe I'm not following the right accounts. But with that said, what is your perspective on the kind of the the, the makeup of a memorabilia collector slash investor in terms of their willingness to share their purchases on social media? Um, A lot of the buyers that buy like the high-end stuff are not you know, the young guys that go to trade shows or card shows at all. I mean, some of them are just wealthy people that never even show their face or they don't even like nobody knows that they even bought and they kind of just see it as like an investment. Um, But yeah, I guess like the older crowd, a lot of them aren't even on Facebook or Instagram. It's not even that they don't have a thousand followers or 5,000 or a hundred. They're just simply not on it. I mean, I could probably think of, two high-end collectors that buy and sell game used material on Instagram and they don't like say, Oh, just new pickup $300,000 Michael Jordan's shoes or, you know, million dollar Jersey just acquired because people, it's just like, not like eBay where 10,000 cards get sold every day or more. Um, memorabilia is like only in like the auction house. It's not so much on eBay. So, it's not as flashy, that's for sure. But the money is there if you are patient and can wait, you know, a year, two, three, or four, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. And I do have a follow-up question, but before I want to go to a few comments we have that are relate to the 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 game used versus non-game used uh, memorabilia topic. Boston Authentic says the best part of game used is you can go back and watch the highlights of the game, knowing you're holding that exact jersey in your hand. Like when you say it that way. 
how can you disagree with that? How can you disagree with that that experience of being able to to do that? Like, yeah, that's a great comment. Uh, Sports Card Exchange, Lou Papa, what is going on? Says, looking good, Jordan. Game worn all the way. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Skeppy says, three key things that I find value in jersey cards. The history, the real in your hands value, and each piece is different. No two are the same. Even And that's an interesting comment because even though you could have two what, what are now called napkin patches or napkin, you know, the plain white jerseys, even though they look the exact same, they're not the exact same because they are they they came from different places on the jersey and maybe have you know the holes are in different locations. Snoop says that is why there is a premium for the relic cards from 09 and earlier. The authentication was a lot better. Yeah, some in some cases they even told you on the back of the card what game it was from, which was really cool. And Snoop goes on to say, Upper Deck Ultimate cards still have a premium price. Yeah, I uh, was telling Jordan just before we went live that I just earlier today, placed a bid. I won't say what player or what platform, but placed a bid on an Upper Deck Ultimate Premium card. So, uh, yeah, thank you, Snoop. Thank you, guys. And keep your questions, comments coming, everybody in the chat. Great to have you. And uh, this is uh, Jordan Gilroy, as you would know from Leland's, because yeah, you clicked on the you clicked on the thumbnail and came in here. But welcome, everybody, to the show. Okay, my follow-up question, Jordan, to what we were just talking about is, why do you think some and maybe more this is i'm going to make a, an assumption that i that i'm not going to be that uh that connected to but i'm going to go with it anyway why do you think that on a per capita basis memorabilia buyers collectors investors are more private than sports card collectors and investors like outside of just the fact that they may not be on instagram is there anything else there i mean or is this just the same thing again i would go towards saying like the um more, I guess, like experienced older crowd, they appreciate history more. Um, and then when they spend a lot of money, they kind of just like to stay hidden. And the thing is like right now we see behind the scenes, people that are looking for, let's say a PSA 10 Hank Aaron bat. They are the type of collector that if you want something like that, you have to love it. And you're, you aren't really into cards so much. So we see a lot of people that just do memorabilia and zero cards. They kind of see like the complete opposite of some people out there and they're willing to spend, let's say 50 or a hundred thousand dollars on something because there are no comps. And it's not like you can go to eBay and see what the last Hank Karen PSA 10 bat went for because a, it didn't sell on eBay. B I'm sure it went for a low price, like three, four years ago. Cause they don't pop up often. So they just like to stay hidden and uh, keep their things on the DL because they know they're going to sell it in the future and they don't want people to know what they paid in the past. So it's, it's just, it's very interesting to see the kind of behind the scenes stuff that doesn't get shown. Well, to how, how much actually, how much happens behind the scenes uh, where, where an auction house like Leland's is involved and you are doing these private deals for your clients, your buyers, your sellers, is this happening every day all the time such that there's no real public record of these sales where other collectors can go back and use those comps as research into what they may be looking to collect or invest in the future? Uh, it comes and goes. It, you know, sometimes it would make sense for us to publicize all these huge prices to get us more deals, but we know the people that want the stuff anyway. So, you know, for example, if we come out and say we sold, this is just a made up thing. We sold 
a Babe Ruth game used bat, normal bat, PSA 8, for $400,000. That would mean it would be impossible to buy one for under that in the future. But if you don't publish it, you know, you could still probably buy one from people that don't know that sale happened, but you can buy it for 150 or 200 and know that you can get double. So it's good to like know the information. Um, and also, like 95% of the time, the buyers just want the item and they don't want the publicity. They just like to put it up in their man cave, keep it, appreciate it, and not tell anyone that they have it, um, which is, I guess if I had that kind of money, maybe. I mean, I'm sure I'd put a picture up on Instagram or something, but um, yeah, it's each their own. Yeah, no, definitely. And I want to ask you this, um, your, your perspective on the people you deal with, whether, you know, clients of Leland's or just people you talk to out, out and about within, within the hobby, is, is there, is there a movement in memorabilia more towards investment from collecting as, as we have seen in sports cards over the, over the past few years, sports cards, you know, we have a lot of people that have come in strictly as a source of income from flipping or for investing. Um, I'm wondering if the same thing is going on in memorabilia. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, a, because there aren't going to be, it's not like there's a, a silver prism equivalent of a jersey that there are 5,000 of and could go for a couple thousand dollars and the player gets hurt and then it tanks. I mean, that, that just doesn't happen because the supply isn't there. You know, a player could only wear X amount of jerseys or use X amount of pairs of shoes or bats in a year and they don't sell everything. They don't give everything away. So it's not like you can pull a game-used bat or a game-used jersey of Mike Trout or Michael Jordan out of a pack. You have to know who has it, and you have to offer them something that will make them want to sell it. Because frankly, the memorabilia owners don't really care that much about money because they appreciate the collecting. And those people that have all the money in the world, they don't, they don't need a $50,000 profit on something because they just want it and they know they can't replace it. Um, but investing opportunities, yes, because there are no, there are really no comps. So you could pretty much make up your own thing. I could go buy a game used Jersey of John Morant from someone right now for 15 grand, let's say as a family member who doesn't follow the hobby. And then you could put it in an auction. It can go for 50. You never know. It's not like um, there's much risk in it because it's just so safe. So rare compared to manufactured sports cards, I suppose. Yeah. Interesting, interesting stuff. So you mentioned that you said, I think 95% of people, you know, just kind of want the bat. They're going to hang it in their man cave, enjoy it, and may or may not post a pic on Instagram. Would you say that like, if you had to put a percentage on it, what percent of your clients are investors versus collectors? And I recognizing that it's not one or the other. You can be a, a hybrid. I think most of us are. So let me rephrase the question as what percent without, I know you're not going to know this exactly, but what percent would you say are more on the collector side than the investor side? Uh, well, since we deal with a lot of memorabilia and vintage, it's not just modern cards. I guess if I were to categorize it and say modern cards, um, probably 50-50. Um, people that not are just dealers, but 
buy and sell and trade or like in the hobby and have fun with it versus people that just stash the stuff away. Uh, when we're talking about memorabilia, autographs, game used uh, material, I would say we're probably looking at 75%, 80% collectors. And then the other portion might be dealers, might be people that will buy, flip, trade, maybe know a couple people that do cards and memorabilia and trade a game used jersey for cards. Um, but I would say overall combined, probably 75% percent are collectors just because we do more memorabilia and uh, autographs and cards okay no, i appreciate that it's it's interesting a couple comments uh lou says i have the 91 sneakers mj war that he gave to sunny vaccaro it's awesome watching the finals highlights where marv albert doug collins and ahmad show where mj cut the toe out no card can replace no i mean you know, we make, and I, I'm guilty. I'm doing it today. We we make these comparisons from cards against memorabilia, and I don't know how appropriate it is, but it's it's what I understand. So it's a, just a baseline for me. But uh, thanks for sharing that with us, Lou. Skeppy says, fun hypothetical question: If you could somehow gather all the jersey cards to reassemble a jersey professionally, would you reassemble it? Say a Ruth jersey that would look like a that would look like patchwork for sure. Um, I personally wouldn't. I just keep the cards intact myself. Uh, Mark Mader says, talk tickets. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk to talk tickets, Mark. If you have a specific question for Jordan or comment, although you, Mark, may be the expert in tickets. So here, that's my question. Will be for you, uh, Jordan. Tickets. What is your perspective on how tickets have seen this uprise recently? And what do you think? Is this a, is this a, now listen, it's not a new collectible class. I've, I've seen tickets to the national for 20 years, but it's something that is getting a lot more airtime on social media lately. So that said, tell us your perspective on the recent rise in tickets and where you think it's going. Uh, well, I think it's kind of in the same ballpark as game use material in one way, as in the tickets well, the stubs, at least, or at the game, in the stadium, in the arena. Um, but I think, like, the collecting side of it is very interesting because, you know, you look at the Jordan debut tickets. They were a lot of money in the beginning, and now they're kind of going down a little bit because people are saying, oh, my gosh, I have two of them in my drawer. I didn't know it was worth 150 grand." Then people start grading them, and then more come out. So that's why it's always important to focus on the events that, wouldn't have a huge supply hidden in people's, you know, attics and stuff like a Jackie Robinson MLB debut. There are not going to be a lot of those there. No one's going to come out of the woodwork and say, Oh, this is actually important. Let me sell it. I mean, someone might, but it's not going to be the same number as let's say an MJ debut or a LeBron debut because people knew LeBron they knew to keep the tickets. It was going to be important. Um, so the earlier you go, the better the price and the better the um, more consistency and it's safer as you go earlier and earlier and earlier. Yeah, that, that makes good sense to me. And especially the, the fact that we're not, you know, events are not producing paper tickets anymore as much as they used to. I think you can still get them in certain instances, but that makes the, the whole collectible uh, class tighter and tighter. There's just less supply out there for everybody. And so here's my take on tickets, sort of my take, is that to me, they're sort of in between 
cards and memorabilia, right? Cards are manufactured for collectors for the most part. Memorabilia was there. It was in the game. Tickets are made of paper. They're, they're, they're flat, thin like cards are. They're not nearly as nice as cards in almost all instances. Some are very spectacular, but for the most part, tickets are very simple in their production, which is, which is okay. I mean, that, that itself is attractive to, to, to see what the technology was and how they, you know, you're, it's a moment in time. It reflects what people took to the game to get into that building. So, you know, cards weren't involved in the game. Memorabilia was in the game itself and tickets were at the game usually like ones that are that were actually used were at the game i think that's really cool the thing about tickets for me that i'm not in that that i don't find as attractive and it's interesting because you i could say the same thing about cards is that i i keep all my ticket stubs from sporting events and concerts i've been to but i don't know that i would be as interested in buying a ticket that somebody else used although although i'm not against it either it's just there that that's in my mind right is that someone else used that ticket, but is that that's not that big of a deal, perhaps. So I don't know. I'm, I'm still getting my head around. I think they're I think tickets are cool. I think there's a lot of people are giving them some great attention right now on social media. Some people are are kind of crapping on them on social media as well. So kind of my take. I, I know it's kind of all over the place. Um, but I'm interested to see what some of you guys out there think. Mark, what do you think? I see you said thanks for bringing it up. Yeah, you bet. No worries at all. Uh, let's see. Boston says graded ticket prices falling harder than Marvel cards. Really? Like I, I'm unaware of that. I, I, I would not have known that. Garrett Patrick, welcome to the show, says digital tickets drive me nuts. Luckily, some season ticket holders still receive hard copies. Yeah, that's I hear you. Like to me, a ticket was always a collectible. I always, I kept almost all of them. And Lou says, Jeremy, talk about the new records that the Gretzky jersey and gloves sold for. The prices being achieved for grail moments are starting to explode. Yeah. Honestly, Lou and and everybody, I I'm not even aware. I don't know what those sold for, so I, I unfortunately um, cannot speak to them as I just block that bot that is plugging up our chat here. Uh, but thanks for that, Lou. Feel free to give us some more. Unless Jordan, you can speak to those Gretzky items that sold, and to and to to Lou's comment uh, in general. Yeah, I think it was his last Oilers jersey, and it was oh. 1.4 million. Um, and the gloves, I think, is between two and three hundred thousand, maybe. But yeah, I mean, just like that, the Grail moments—they're one of ones, uh, and it's not like it's a one of one super factor versus a one of one gold vinyl versus a one of one black refractor. It is the only one. There are not other variations of it. So you could be the only person in the world to own it. And you know, let's say you have a one of one Jordan logo man, and everyone that wants a Jordan logo man goes to you. Um, that's pretty much what it is in this in this situation, if not more, because there's not another variation. It's just the one. So let's say, for example, and I did hear I did hear about that Gretzky jersey that sold for 1.4, whatever it was. What would you think? And what would the what would what would the sports memorabilia collector investor community think if Upper Deck bought that jersey for I doubt they did, but if they bought that jersey for 1.4 million dollars in order to cut it up and insert it into cards. Would that be sacrilege? What do you think? Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> yes, but people would love to be able to own a piece of it because they wouldn't be able to afford a million dollars. So there are a lot of people that would love the patch cards, 
And, you know, with the right marketing, I'm sure those patch cards would be a ton of money. But as you're as a collector, a person who loves history, it would be a little sacrilegious just because, I mean, this isn't really controversial, but the whole Kim Kardashian wearing the Marilyn Monroe dress like that was also, you know, a PR stunt um, that could be like maybe the similar thing. But, yeah, I, I hope Upper Deck didn't buy it to. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I I doubt they did. I don't know. If, I have no no reason to think that, except that it's a lot of money. But, um, you know. But you said that you you could imagine that a lot of people would like to own a piece of that jersey. Well, that's where fractional comes in, right? I mean, you're not going to actually have a you know a a, a a silver dollar sized swatch of it in your own house, but you can own shares of it, or not maybe not that jersey, but other ones. Actually, we're going to talk about a jersey shortly on um on a fractional platform like collectible that would be that would be pretty cool uh lou says if upper deck bought it that would be a badass fractional item for collectible well even if they didn't buy it whoever bought it right uh you'd buy shares yeah uh, lou says he'd buy shares yeah i'd try to also for sure what garrett patrick says i usually search after a game for a hard copy of tickets nine times out of ten there's one light laying on the ground yeah definitely and back to uh uh, Skeppy says, I'm not seeing card manufacturers paying a million plus to cut it up. The product price would be, yeah, that's what I'm, that's a, yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. I don't see them buying a, buying the Jersey to cut it up. That would definitely have to be some sort of master collection type product or something like that. Jordan is now a good time to be buying memorabilia. Uh, yes. Um, uh, because it's still going up. Uh, there still isn't like a place where you can just go find comps or everything that's sold. So it is good to get stuff now because um, there, there's not much, there's a lot of knowledge behind it. I don't want to say there's no knowledge, but there's nowhere for people to reference these prices so easily. So you can still kind of just make up your own price. Um, like I said before, if you know like a family member or let's say a scout for a team that won a World Series and they want 20 grand for a World Series ring, I mean, it's a great bet. It could be worth 40, 50, 60. There, just, there are no comps. And the demand is extremely high. Supply is extremely low. So before you know, these teams start selling every single jersey from every single game, it's good to get the rare stuff because, I mean, we could be looking back and saying a $300,000 Jordan jersey now is low because maybe they become – Five or six hundred thousand dollar at the floor in the future. You never know. Um, I'm not going to tell everyone to spend three hundred grand on everything because that would be irresponsible. But it is. Um, if you see something cool like a photo match jersey, mid hundreds, mid thousands, or whatever you want to go with, it's cool to keep it and follow that player and root for them and make sure that they do good. Make sure they do good by your investment. Yeah. And you know. As far as purchasing memorabilia from an auction house like Leland's, because you mentioned, you know, if you know if you have a relative or something like that, but is it a good time now to be buying from the auction houses? Uh, and I, that's a tough question. You, you may have some bias in your answer, uh, but that's okay. I'm, I'm happy for you to, to answer that however you'd like. But I, I think I just want to have the context that, you know, you mentioned that, uh, you know, they're still going, things or items are still going up. Auction houses are going to have, you know, maybe the, the the most exposure for items versus a private deal. So 
you know, are you seeing more and more bidders coming onto the Leland's platform in the, like in 2022 versus the years leading up? And, and, uh, and if so, is it, are there still some deals to be had? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, we sell between a thousand and 1200 lots in an auction and realistically we'd love for all those lots to go for exactly what they're worth or more, but you know, maybe something here and there might go for a, you know, a good deal. And you kind of won't know that until we see the future. Like, let's say memorabilia right now. I mean, if it goes up in quadruples, then good investments. If it cools down a little bit for six months, then maybe, you know, put a pause on it. Um, you know, there are runs and luckily memorabilia isn't going to completely tank because there's not going to be an eBay sale of a jersey going down from a previous sale and no one's going to really talk about it. Um, it's pretty much just in the auctions and auctions now are once a month for memorabilia because um, not every auction house does memorabilia. It's, there's a lot of modern cards, but uh, foot traffic. Yeah. I mean, the modern cards are bringing a lot of people um, and that's great. And they're bringing in people that buy modern cards and now trying to maybe try out a ticket or a signed Babe Ruth baseball or photo match jersey, you see where it goes because they, you know, might have 500 cards and want to diversify a little bit. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to see what goes on uh, behind the scenes. For sure, for sure. Okay, new question for you, new topic. <clears throat> I remember if you go back like to 2018 and earlier, modern player items, cards, memorabilia, we're selling for much less than Hall of Fame vintage deceased players. You know, the like the best of, let's say, Mickey Mantle versus Mike Trout or Wilt Chamberlain versus uh, LeBron James or Gordie Howe versus Sidney Crosby. You know, that, those, those kind of comparisons. Up until recently, it feels to me, and, and correct me if anyone or, or chime in if anybody has a different sort of perspective, but it seems like those cards were always the one, cards and, and memorabilia, but I'm going to really focus on cards here because it's just what I follow closer, were of much higher value than their modern day counterpart as far as kind of like who's the best in the league or among the best at the, at the current time. Seems to me like modern players their items have caught up in terms of value. We've seen Mike Trout sell for three and a half million. We've seen Tito Six Wagner sell for three and a half million. And I could go on with those comparisons. I used to think, Jordan, that why wouldn't the modern day goat, if we can use that term, sell for as much as the as the vintage deceased Hall of Famer goat? Because the, today's players are going to one day be those players, you know, 80 years down the road. They're going to be remembered, some of them, few but some will be remembered as the best of their era so with that context set do you think does it make sense that we have modern players that have cards and memorabilia that are selling for as much if not more than than the best players of yesterday from an investment standpoint it makes sense um as a collector not so much um but let's say michael jordan babe ruth mickey mantle ty cobb they are not playing anymore, so they can't have a huge game and get their stock up. They can't win another championship. Uh, but guys like Curry and LeBron and Trout and Judge and all these like big names, Patrick Mahomes, 
they can still have a huge spike in value if they have a five touchdown game, if they have a, um, let's say a judge keeps on performing how he's doing. He just hit a walk-off home run again today. I mean, his stuff is through the roof. He's doing amazing. Uh, so these players now, I guess people like to see them as potential because you could have a card that's $500 double overnight if someone has a great game. And if they win a championship like Curry just did, I mean, that could also raise the prices a lot quicker than the vintage. Because the vintage, it goes up organically and there will be spikes. But modern, you know, you can have a card, like I said before, that even is 10 grand for the season. And it could be 100 grand by the time the season ends. It's rare, but it can happen. And it can happen a lot easier than a vintage card. I think I think and you know give me your thoughts on this but it must come down to the 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 fact that the risk tolerance profile of the of the hobbyists that are buying the modern day players I like the LeBron James triple logo man that just sold for 2.4 million dollars last night the the card you know that's a I think that's a risky card at that at 2.4 million dollars even though LeBron is is an all-time great. So maybe it's, it's less risky. Uh, but if you're spending a lot of money on a player that's still playing and you are and you have a decision, I could buy a Mike Trout or a Mike Judge item versus a Mickey Mantle or a Babe Ruth or a Honus Wagner, let's say, I think you have to have a little bit higher risk tolerance uh, to buy that modern-day item because you are going to go through some emotional roller coaster of ownership of, of that item because it's more volatile. Even, you know, Mike Trout could get hurt and that's going to hurt the values temporarily. And then they'll come back. Even LeBron James has seen a dip really since, since he was out of contention for the playoffs this year. But when you fast forward and you think about it, that's a pretty short sighted reaction by the hobby because LeBron James is going to go down as a top three all time player when he's done. And 10 years out from then people are going to forget about these, ups and downs his day-to-day performance on the court you're just going to remember the body of work being amazing as it was and that's why you hear people saying right now that maybe lebron james is a good buy at these prices compared to last year's prices i don't i can't argue with that what are your thoughts on that well with lebron i mean we all know that he's knock on wood that he's gonna break the all-time scoring record next year and we all saw what happened this year when curry was about to break the three-point record i mean his stuff was hot you know, in the beginning of the season, but then once he approached that record, you know, everything just shot up that much more. And with LeBron, I mean, it could happen. The stuff is just so expensive already, but you never know. I mean, people are going to count every single game and say, oh, if he averages 24 points for the next 15 games, he could get it by this date. And people are just going to follow him. He's going to be the most, the, the most eyes are going to be on him from day one. So that, you know, supply and demand, like demand is going to be extremely high then. Maybe after he sets the record, it might go down a little bit, but that's when, you know, people might be starting to sell the stuff or they'll sell it on the way up. It'll be interesting to see, especially with LeBron. Yeah. 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 There's other factors with LeBron too, like Twitter and things like that. So yeah. I hear you. Okay, great. Uh, Skeppy says, as game use memorabilia cards become more in demand, I worry about authenticity, experience, and knowledge from the past will be key for buyers. Fair comment. 
Boston Authentic says modern day goats are still creating jerseys, so supply isn't set yet. Great point. Yesterday's players were lucky to have one home, one away jersey per season. Like that's a point that we didn't talk about that's really astute from uh, Boston Authentic. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, and Skeppy says vintage baseball players had maybe two or three jerseys for an entire season, even if they played 20 years. There are very few in comparison to modern players. No doubt about that. Jordan, what are your thoughts on fractional investing within the overall hobby landscape nowadays? It's pretty cool. I mean, I don't have a million dollars or $500,000 to spend on these huge items, but it is cool to be involved and own a piece of it because you root for that athlete, you root for the hobby to go up, and it's not like people are expecting to put in $1,000 and make a million out of it, but you know, there will be a, well, should be a constant, you know, things might go up and down, but overall in the end, things should be pretty safe and, and go up, you know, unless you have a situation like someone gets hurt or they say something dumb and their stock goes down. But um, yeah, I mean, it's also interesting to see these items because maybe they don't want to take the risk of auctioning them and they want the public to have a piece of it. And the public might not even know it existed if it wasn't put on on the site. So it is pretty cool to first see these items, know that they exist, that, you know, maybe a historic bat or jersey is not with the player. It could be owned by the people and it brings everyone together. And then you see the, uh, you know, the buyer offer Instagram posts and you see the rejections and the exceptions. And it's really cool to see all the stuff that you won't see on eBay or in auctions. Yeah, I agree. I really enjoy when when buyout offers come in and they go to a vote and Collectible puts out their their results video, the results uh, post on Instagram and Twitter. And um, I like when when there are buyout offers, I like talking about them on this show and kind of opining on what I would do if I was a unit holder. And I'm I'm a, I'm a long term player in this game, so my my vote is usually on hold. But I could see the odd case where I would where I would vote to sell if the return was just too great and I wasn't really attached to the item, even though I don't have have it in hand. But I agree with you. I think it's a great way to offer co-ownership to more than one person and and the the owner who consigns it to collectible. And I don't really know how the other fractional um, the platforms work, but I know the collectible they don't buy items and, and sell them on their platform. Everything is on consignment. Everything's on consignment. And I think that's really cool. So they provide that platform for an owner to be able to share their item, you know, cash out a bit, retain some ownership, and then get into a co-ownership agreement with all the unit holders. And uh, again, you know, I'm not going to own a Tito six Wagner, probably won't own a PSA uh, seven or higher that implies I might own a 652 Tops Mickey Mantle, which would be amazing one day. Maybe I will one day. In any event, I, I love the idea of owning shares. However, Jordan, I'm Canadian. I don't have the, I'm not eligible to, to invest in any units on collectible. So I don't, because I don't have a social security number, which is what you need. So maybe one day I'll get a social security number so that I can invest in the fractional on collectibles platform. Mint Collective, were you there this year? We, we were not, no. We own a show in uh, Ohio that we had to have all hands on deck for. Um, but yeah, I mean, it would have been great. We'll go to the next one. But uh, yeah, I mean, we just had um, prior commitments that took us all to Ohio. And it was, 
the date was switched. So, uh, you know, tough, tough, tough couple of years there with the pandemic. Will you guys be in Atlantic City for the National next month, a month today or so? In our backyard. We're so happy we don't have to drive all the way to Chicago or Cleveland. I mean, it's not going to be in Cleveland, but yeah, it's just a nice two, two and a half hour drive this year. Where so from New York to to and Atlantic City, and our our office is actually in New Jersey, um, which is maybe like an hour closer. Okay. But yeah, it's um nice quick trip. Perfect. So now that I know that, at the end of the national, I might hop in the car with you and hitch a ride back to New Jersey, New York area, so I can catch a plane home. Let's do it. Pre- Thank you. Thanks in advance. All right. Let's take a few minutes and look, there's one IPO coming up on the platform on the collectible platform this week that I want to talk about. And this is, it's actually really cool. There is a a tie-in to, uh, to Jordan and Leland's on this, which we'll, we'll mention. So this item is this guy right here. This is the 1980 Mike Arruzioni team USA hockey gold medal game jersey from the historic miracle on ice run the so this is the jersey worn by the captain he was the captain of the team in the gold medal winning game against team finland in lake placid on february 24th 1980 in 1999 and i just read this i always tell you tell people watching go to the collectible app on your phone and you can see all the information on these items that's where i get this from and the one, the key, uh, the key bullet that I took that I didn't, I wasn't aware of. I probably heard at the time, Jordan, but I didn't remember, is that in 1999, Sports Illustrated named the Miracle on Ice as the top sports moment of the 20th century, not not just of the 80s, not just hockey, the top sports moment of the 20th century. That's a hundred years worth of sports moments. Man, I mean, there's some. Honestly, I'm surprised by that. I, I'm I'm surprised by that, but whatever. Sports Illustrated, they're more of an authority than I am on what the biggest moments were in the 20th century. And if they say that, then that's that's important. And I, it's obviously up for debate, and a lot of people have a lot of different opinions on that. But this is one of the key relics, if not the key relic, from what is one of the most culturally relevant sporting events in U.S. history – I like it because I'm in Canada. I know hockey is our is our national pastime, so it's pretty cool that Sports Illustrated names a hockey event as the the top event uh, of the 20th century, and not a baseball event or an NFL football event or some other Olympic event. You know, no Michael Phelps, nothing tennis, none of that. Not Tiger Woods doing something like. Anyway, I'm just really impressed by by that fact. We have several images here. We'll take a look at some some other of them, others of them here. So actually, let's go back here. So this is a nice little picture, making it obvious that it is hockey. They're laying a stick and puck on here. You got the name bar, the number twenty one, his autograph, nineteen eighty cop captain, and my gold medal jersey says right there. My being Mike Ruzioni, the player who wore it. Here's a picture of the front of it, USA right across the chest with the his uh, captain C. Up on the top left lapel there, there's a upper, there's a close-up of it. Another image of the of the back of the jersey that we saw in the first picture. Bit of a close-up, close-up of the autograph, which is laid down really well and nice sharpie, it looks like. And then the certificate of authenticity from Heritage Auctions. And we also have a letter of authenticity. And this is from, I believe this is. From, 
Mike Arruzzioni himself, well, I guess it's he wrote it on the jersey itself, but this has PSA DNA certification uh, as well attached to the jersey. So, you know, as, as was mentioned earlier by Skeppy in terms of like authenticity and how important it is, you know, you when you're buying these items, you have to make sure you're buying them from a trusted seller like a Leland's, like a Heritage, uh, like a collectible. And you need some you need some paperwork to go along with it. So this is a, a great item. Now, I mentioned earlier that there's a tie in between this jersey and Leland. So, Jordan, why don't you tell us about the what was what was the mint 25 auction that happened at the end of January and this jersey specifically? Uh, it was a 25 lot auction of just like the prime best of the best. And when I say best of the best, usually that would mean something that's between 20 and 100,000 or more. But for this one, the goal was to have 25 lots and each one would have sold for over $200,000. And this was, uh, we auctioned off 20% uh, ownership in this jersey. And it was a little bit slow in the beginning, but by the end, I mean, there was a huge bidding war and it, it performed very, very well. Um, so someone out there that bought 20% from our auction, um, you know, is invested in this and it's, um, it was great to see it. Great to hold it. You know, like I said before, close the eyes and imagine him on the ice and everyone celebrating. Uh, it's just really incredible to hold a piece of history like that. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. I still can't get over the fact that Sports Illustrated named it the the most important or culturally relevant sporting event uh, of the 20th century. That's just that. That's a big deal to me. Again, everybody go check out, go check out the information on the collectible app under IPOs coming soon. Speaking of coming soon, this is being launched on the collectible platform this Thursday, June 30th at 8 PM Eastern. 11% of it is up for auction. So that's important to understand. Only 11% is up for auction. We don't have the financials on it yet, meaning we don't know what they're, what the market cap is of that offering. I just, could, I don't have that yet from collectible, but that will be coming prior, of course, prior to them launching it. So if 80, if, if 11% is being offered and Jordan, your Leland sold 20% of it uh, already, that means that that's 20 plus 11 is 31. That means that 69% is likely still owned by the original owner who is slowly selling off portions of it. Kind of, kind of neat. This is, this is new territory. And, uh, We'll see. I'll be interested to see if 11% is going to sell for more, you know, all thing, all else being equal than what 20% sold for at the Mint 25 auction. But we'll find out about that. Lou says, that is sick. This is exactly what makes Game Worn incredible. A true one of one, an absolutely phenomenal piece. And, you know, Lou... I just happen to know loves his hockey too. He's not, you know, he's a, he likes hockey as well. So he'll have a, a, a distinct and, and a special appreciation for this Jersey for sure. And uh baseball card curmudgeon in the house. What's going on. Thank you for tuning into collectible live. All right. With that, Jordan, I think we're, we're good to wrap up. We're just about at the 58 minute mark before we do Garrett Patrick joins up and says, do you think a lot of retired players have their old jerseys and sell them or auction them off. Jordan, we'll put that question to you. Uh, I think a lot of players have sold their material um, when 
you know, when this memorabilia stuff started popping up, a lot of people sold their collections. Um, maybe they kept like a jersey or two, but, you know, they didn't make much money while playing. Let's say if you made 150000 or $200,000 a year when you were playing, and now two or three of the jerseys that you wore are worth more than that, I mean, that's kind of what their mind compares to. They don't say, oh, my jersey is worth less than a guy playing now. Like their aspect of money is completely different from ours. Um, but I'm sure there are a lot of retired players that still have their material. But we do see a lot of them selling. And not because they need the money. It's because they've had it for 40, 50 years. And, you know, it's just acquiring dust in their attic. And they're like, all right, why don't I just make 50, 100 grand or more from just selling a piece of cloth that I don't have any emotional attachment to anymore? So it is interesting and it's great because then a collector can go out and buy it and own it and cherish it. So I think there's a decent balance, but probably I would say 65 to 70% probably sold and the rest have their stuff still. All right. Appreciate that insight. Uh, Garrett, there you go. Straight from Jordan Gilroy, director of acquisitions at Leland's Auctions. Jordan, thank you so much for joining Collectible Live on this June the 26th, 2022. Really enjoyed the discussion. Thank you to the chat, guys, and another another episode of great uh, engagement from you. So thanks so much. Jordan, thanks for, thanks for being on the show. Anytime. Yeah, this was fun. Let's do it again. All right, guys. Thanks so much. This episode is over. We'll see you all again next Sunday on Collectible Live. Have a great week ahead, everybody. Thank you.